guys. Welcome to episode four of our quarantine reading. We are reading The Phantom Toll Booth by Norton Jester. And today, or this episode, will be chapters seven and eight. So here we go. Chapter seven, The Royal Banquet. Right this way. Follow us. Come along. Step lively. Here we go, they shouted, hopping from the wagon and bounding up the broad marble stairway. Milo and Tok followed close behind. It was a strange-looking palace, and if he didn't know better, he would have said that it looked exactly like an enormous book, standing on end with its front door and the lower part of the binding, just where they usually place the publisher's name. Once inside, they hurried down a long hallway, which glittered with crystal chandeliers and echoed with their footsteps. The walls and ceilings were covered with mirrors, whose reflections danced dizzily along with them, and the footman bowed coldly. He must be terribly late, gasped the earl nervously, as they reached the tall doors of the banquet hall. It was a vast room, full of people loudly talking and arguing. The long table was carefully set with gold plates and linen napkins. An attendant stood behind each chair, and at the center, raised slightly above the others, was a throne covered in crimson cloth. Directly behind, on the wall, was the royal coat of arms, flanked by the flags of Dictionopolis. Milo noticed many of the people he had seen in the marketplace. The letterman was busy explaining to an interested group the history of the W, and off in a corner, the humbug and the spelling bee were arguing fiercely about nothing at all. Officer Shrift wandered through the crowd, suspiciously muttering, Guilty, guilty, they're all guilty. And on noticing Milo, brightened visibly and commented in passing, Is it six million years already? How time flies. Everyone seemed quite grumpy about having to wait for lunch, and they were all relieved to see the tardy guests arrive. Certainly glad you finally made it, old man, said the humbug, cordially pumping Milo's hand. I guess, as guest of honor, you must choose the menu, of course. Oh, my, he thought, not knowing what to say. Be quick about it, suggested the spelling bee. I'm famished. F-A-M-I-S-H-E-D. As Milo tried to think, there was an ear-shattering blast of trumpets entirely off-key, and a page announced to the startled guests, King Azaz the Unabridged. The king strode through the door and over to the table and settled his great bulk onto the throne, calling irritably, Places, everyone, take your places. He was the largest man Milo had ever seen, with a great stomach, large piercing eyes, a gray beard that reached to his waist, and a silver signet ring on the little finger of his left hand. He also wore a small crown and a robe with the letters of the alphabet beautifully embroidered all over it. What if we have here, he said, staring down at Tuck and, and Milo as everyone else as everyone else took his place. If you please, said Milo, my name is Milo and this is Tuck. Thank you very much for inviting us to your banquet. I think your palace is beautiful. Exquisite, corrected the Duke. Lovely, counseled the minister. Handsome, recommended the Count. Pretty, hinted the Earl. Charming, submitted the undersecretary. Silence! suggested the king. Now, young man, what can you do to entertain us? Sing songs, tell stories, compose sonnets, struggle plates, do tumbling tricks. Which is it? Well, I can, can't do any of those things, admitted Milo. What an ordinary little boy, commented the king. Why, my cabinet members can do all sorts of things. The duke here can make mountains out of molehills. 
The minister splits hairs. The count makes hay while the sun shines. The earl leaves no stone unturned. And the undersecretary, he finished ominously, hangs by a thread. Can't you do anything at all? I can count to a thousand, offered Milo. Ugh, numbers. Never mention numbers here. Only use them when we absolutely have to, growled Azaz disgustedly. Now, why don't you and Talk come up here and sit next to me and we'll have some dinner? Are you ready with the menu? reminded the humbug. Well, said Milo, remembering that his mother had always told him to eat lightly when he was a guest. Why don't we have a light meal? A light meal it shall be, roared the bug, waving his arms. The waiters rushed in, carrying large serving platters, and set them on the table in front of the king. Can you guys guess what's coming? When he lifted the covers, shafts of brilliant colored light leaped from the plates and bounced around the ceiling, the walls, across the floor, and out the windows. Not a very substantial meal, said the humbug, rubbing his eyes, but quite an attractive one. Perhaps you could suggest something a little more filling? The king clapped his hands, so platters were removed, and without thinking, Milo suggested quickly, Well, in that case, I think we ought to have a square meal of... A square meal it is, shouted the humbug again. The king clapped his hands once more, and the waiters reappeared, carrying plates heaped high with steaming squares of all sizes and colors. Ugh, said the spelling bee, tasting one. These are awful. No one else seemed to like them very much either, and the humbug got caught one caught in his throat and almost choked. Time for the speeches, announced the king as the plates were again removed and everyone looked glum. You first, he commanded, pointing to Milo. Your majesty, ladies and gentlemen, started Milo timidly. I'd like to take this opportunity to say that in all the... That's quite enough, snapped the king. Mustn't talk all day. But I'd just begun, objected Milo. Next, bellowed the king, roast turkey, mashed potatoes, vanilla ice cream, recited the humbug, bouncing up and down quickly. What a strange speech, thought Milo, for he had heard many in the past and knew they were supposed to be long and dull. Hamburgers, corn on the cob, chocolate pudding, P-U-D-D-I-N-G, said the spelling bee in his turn. Frankfurter's sour pickles, strawberry jam, shouted Officer Shrift from his chair. Since he was taller sitting than standing, he didn't bother to get up. And so down the line it went, with each guest rising briefly, making a short speech, and then resuming his place. When everyone had finished, the king rose. Pâté de foie gras, soupe légon, fragensois, clocher, saladie, endive, fromage, et fruits et demetasse, he said carefully and clapped his hands again. The waiters reappeared immediately, carrying heavy hot trays, which they set on the table. Each one contained the exact words spoken by the various guests, and they all began eating immediately with great gusto. Dig in, said the king, poking Milo with his elbow and looking disapprovingly at his plate. I can't say that I think much of your choice. Well, I didn't know that I was going to have to eat my words, objected Milo. Of course, of course, everyone here does, the king grunted. You should have made a taste of your speech. Milo looked around at everyone, busily stuffing himself, and then back at his own unappetizing plate. It suddenly, certainly didn't look worth eating, and he was so very hungry. Here, try some somersault, suggested the duke. It improves the flavor. Have a rigmarole, offered the count, passing the bread basket. Or a ragamuffin, seconded the minister. Perhaps you'd care for a cinnamon bun, suggested the duke. 
Why not just wait for your just desserts, mumbled the Earl indistinctly, his mouth full of food. How many times must I tell you not to bite off more than you can chew, snapped the undersecretary, patting the distressed Earl on the back. In one ear and out the other, scolded the Duke, attempting to stuff one of his words through the Earl's head. If it isn't one thing, it's another, chided the minister. Out of the frying pan into the fryer, shouted the Count, burning himself badly. Well, you don't have to bite at my, off my head, screamed the terrified Earl, and flew at the others in a rage. The five of them scoff, scuffled wildly under the table. Stop that at once, thundered Azaz, or I'll banish the lot of you. Sorry, excuse me, forgive us. Pardon, regrets, they apologized in turn, and sat down, glaring at each other. The rest of the meal was finished in silence until the king, wiping the gravy stains from his vest, called for dessert. Milo, who had not eaten anything, looked up eagerly. We're having a special treat today, said the king, as the delicious smell of homemade pastry filled the banquet hall. By royal command, the pastry chefs have worked all night in the half-bakery to make sure that... The half-bakery? questioned Milo. Of course the half-bakery, snapped the king. Where do you think half-baked ideas come from? Now, please don't interrupt. By royal command, the pastry chefs have worked all night to... Well, what's a half-baked idea? asked Milo again. Will you be quiet? growled Azaz angrily, but before he could begin again, three large serving carts were wheeled into the hall, and everyone jumped up to help himself. They're very tasty, explained the humbug, but they don't always agree with you. Here's one that's very good. He handed it to Milo, and through the icing and nuts, Milo saw that... It said, the earth is flat. People swallowed that one for years, commented the spelling bee. But it's not very popular these days, D-A-Y-S. He picked up a long one that stated, the moon is made of green cheese, and hungrily bit off the part that said cheese. Now there's a half-baked idea, he said, smiling. Milo looked at the great assortment of cakes, which were being eaten almost as quickly as anyone could read them. The Count was munching contentedly on, It never rains but it pours, and the King was busy slicing one that stated, Night air is bad air. I wouldn't eat too many of those if I were you, advised Talk. They may look good, but you can get terribly sick of them. Don't worry, Milo replied. I'll just wrap one up for later, and he folded his napkin around. Everything happens for the best. Chapter 8, The Humbug Volunteers Couldn't eat another thing, puffed the Duke, clutching his stomach. Oh my, oh dear, agreed the minister, breathing with great difficulty. <laughs> Mumbled the Earl, desperately trying to swallow another mouthful. Thoroughly stuffed, sighed the Count, loosening his belt. Full up, grunted the undersecretary, reaching for the last cake. As everyone finished, the only sounds to be heard were the creaking of chairs, the pushing of plates, the licking of spoons, and, of course, a few words from the humbug. A delightful repast, delicately prepared and elegantly served, he announced to no one in particular. A feast of rare bouquet, my compliments to the chef. By all means, my compliments to the chef. Then, with the most distressed look on his face, he turned to Milo and gasped, <gasps> Would you kindly fetch me a glass of water? I seem to have a touch of indigestion. Well, perhaps you've eaten too much too quickly, Milo remarked sympathetically. Too much too quickly, too much too quickly, wheezed the uncomfortable bug between gulps. 
To be sure, too much too quickly. I most certainly should have eaten too little too slowly or too much too slowly or too little too quickly or taken all day to eat nothing or eaten everything in no time at all or occasionally eaten something any time or perhaps I should have... <gasps> and he toppled back, exhausted into his chair and continued to mumble indistinctly. Attention! Let me have your attention, insisted the king, leaping to his feet and pounding the table. The command was entirely unnecessary for the moment he began to speak Everyone but Milo, Tuck, and the distraught bug rushed from the hall, down the stairs, and out of the palace. Loyal subjects and friends, continued Azaz, his voice echoing in the almost empty room. Once again, on this gala occasion, we have, um, <clears throat> pardon me, coughed Milo as politely as possible, but everyone has gone. I was hoping no one would notice, said the king. It happens every time. They've all gone to dinner, announced the humbug, weakly, and just as soon as I catch my breath, I shall join them. That's ridiculous. How can they eat dinner right after a banquet, asked Milo. Scandalous, shouted the king. We'll put a stop to it at once. From now on, by royal command, everyone must eat dinner before the banquet. But that's just as bad, protested Milo. You mean just as good, corrected the humbug. Things which are equally bad are also equally good. Try to look on the bright side of things. I don't know which side of anything to look on, protested Milo. Everything is so confusing and all of your words only make things worse. How true, said the unhappy king, resting his regal chin on his royal fist as he thought fondly of the old days. There must be something we can do about it. Pass a law, the humbug suggested brightly. We have almost as many laws as words, grumbled the king. Offer a reward, offered the bug again. The king shook his head and looked sadder and sadder. Send for help, drive a bargain, pull the switch, file a brief, lower the broom, tow the line, raise the bridge, bar the door, shouted the bug, jumping up and down and waving his arms. Then he promptly sat down as the king glanced furiously in his direction. Perhaps you might allow rhyme and reason to return, said Milo softly, for he had been waiting for just such an opportunity to suggest it. How nice that would be, said Azaz, straightening up and adjusting his crown. Even if they were a bother at times, things always went so well when they were here. As he spoke, he leaned back on the throne, clasped his hands behind his head, and stared thoughtfully at the ceiling. <sighs> I'm just afraid it can't be done. Certainly not. Can't be done, repeated the humbug. Well, why not? asked Milo. Why not indeed, exclaimed the bug, who seemed equally at home on either side of the argument. Much too difficult, replied the king. Of course, emphasized the bug. Much too difficult. But you could if you really wanted to, insisted Milo. By all means, if you really wanted to, you could, the humbug agreed. How, said Azaz, glaring at the bug. How, inquired Milo, looking the same way. A simple task, began the humbug, suddenly wishing he was somewhere else, for a brave lad with a stout heart, a steadfast dog, and a serviceable small automobile. Go on, commanded the king. Yes, please, seconded Milo. All that he would have to do, continued the worried bug, is travel through miles of harrowing and hazardous countryside, into unknown valleys and uncharted forests, past yawning chasms and trackless wastes, until he reached Digitopolis, if, of course, he ever reached there. 
then he would have to persuade the math magician to agree to release the princesses. And of course, he'd never agree to anything that you'd agree with. And anyway, if he did, you certainly then wouldn't agree to it. Well, but from there, it's just a simple matter of entering the mountains of ignorance, full of perilous pitfalls and ominous overtones, a land to which many venture but few return, and whose evil demons slither slowly from peak to peak in search of prey. Then an effortless climb up, a 2,000-step circular stairway without railings, and high wind at night, for in those mountains it is always night, to the castle in the air. He paused momentarily for breath and then began again. After a pleasant chat with the princesses, all that remains is a leisurely ride back through those chaotic crags whose frightening fiends have sworn to tear any intruder from limb, limb from limb and devour him down to his belt buckle. And finally, after the long ride back, a triumphal parade, if of course there's anything left to parade, followed by hot chocolate and cookies for everyone. The humbug bowed low and sat down once again, very pleased with himself. Well, I never realized it would be so simple, said the king, stroking his beard and smiling broadly. Quite simple indeed, concurred the bug. Well, it sounds dangerous to me, said Milo. Most dangerous, most dangerous, mumbled the humbug, still trying to be in agreement with everybody. Who will make the journey, asked Tok, who'd been listening very carefully to the humbug's description. A very good question, replied the king, but... There is one far more serious problem. What is it? asked Milo, who was rather unhappy at the turn the conversation had taken. I'm afraid I can only tell you that one. I can, I'm afraid I can tell you that only when you return, cried the king, clapping his hands three times. As he did so, the waiters rushed back into the room and quickly cleared the dishes, the silver, the tablecloth, the table, the chairs, the banquet hall, and the palace, leaving them all suddenly standing in the marketplace. Of course, you realize that I would take, like to make the trip myself, continued Azaz, striding across the square as if nothing had happened, but since it was your idea, you shall have all the honor and fame. But you see, began Milo, Dictionopolis will always be grateful, my boy, interrupted the king, and throwing one arm around Milo and patting talk with the other. You will face many dangers on your journey, but fear not, for I have brought you for this you this for your protection he drew from inside his cape a small heavy box about the size of a school book and handed it ceremoniously to milo in this box are all the words i know he said most of them you will never need some you will use constantly but with them you may ask all the questions which have never been answered and answered all of the questions which have never been asked all of the great books of the past and all of the ones yet to come are made with these words. With them, there is no obstacle you cannot overcome. All you must learn to do is use them well and in the right places. Milo accepted the gift with thanks and the little group walked to the car still parked at the edge of the square. You will, of course, need a guide, said the king. And since he knows the obstacle so well, the humbug has cheerfully volunteered to accompany you. <gasps> Now see here, cried the startled bug, for that was the last thing in the world that he wanted to do. You will find him dependable, brave, resourceful, and loyal, continued Azaz. And the humbug was so overcome by the flattery that he quite forgot to object again. I'm sure he'll be a great help, cried Milo, as they drove across the square. I hope so, thought Talk to himself, for he was far less sure. Good luck. 
Good luck, do be careful, shouted the king, and down the road they went. Milo and Tuck wondered what strange adventures lay ahead. The humbug speculated on how he'd ever become involved in such a hazardous undertaking. And the crowd waved and cheered widely, for while they didn't care at all about anyone arriving, they were always very pleased to see someone go. All right, everybody, what did you think of those two chapters? Are there characters that you really are enjoying? Anybody really like the humbug or talk? I like talk, but talk is steady the whole time. Um, one of my favorite things about these two chapters is this is when I think that we start to see the evolution or the change in Milo. I don't find Milo to be particularly likable at the beginning of the book, um, which I think is done on purpose. Um, and then as he is, is exploring and learning, he is growing and changing. And he, for me, I think becomes um, a character that I can connect with a little bit more. And so he finds himself sort of unwittingly now on this adventure to try to bring back rhyme and reason. And uh, in the next installment, we'll see how that goes. Thanks, guys.